32.7. It says, Be strong and courageous. Rock Kazakh. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria or the vast army with him. For there is greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh. But with us is the arm of the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence of what Hezekiah was saying, the king of Judah. I want you guys to understand tonight. I want you to understand. I'm not talking about Greg's might. I'm not talking about Ron's might. I'm not talking about Billy's might or Brandon's might with their, with their kung chu chopping. I'm, I'm talking about tonight. I am talking about a, the Spirit of God. That kind of power. That kind of might. See, we don't rely on the arm of a man. That's what he's saying here. We don't, are, we don't rest in what's in flesh. We rest in what God is doing for us. He says He will fight for us. Amen. There is a great chasm. And this is where I find my difficulty. Because where I want to be and where I walk is two different places. See, I see what God wants me to be. I see where God wants me to live and abide. But in between that place is this great chasm. And I say to myself, Greg, how can I get there? See, in the New Testament, we see that signs and wonders followed them that believed. Pastor Mark said it a couple weeks ago. He said, it is an authentication of, what, of the genuine move of God, is seeing signs and wonders in our midst. We should come in expecting that. We should come in with that draw within us saying, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. God, I know, he, I know He's calling us. I want more. But am I willing to risk it all? I want more. Am I willing to make the sacrifice? I want more. And then fear grips me. I want more. The cost is too great. See, these are the questions I was asking myself this week in, in, in prayer. I was like, Lord, I know that all these places that you want me to go, I want to I go to those places. What is it going to take to bridge that gap? Between that chasm, where I can be, where, it, you know, Pastor Mike likes to say it like this, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect in where I live and what I know the Bible says. There's a disconnect in where I abide and where He wants me to abide. See, God is calling us to that place where He abides, where He reigns, where He rules. I want you tonight to know that there is a spiritual Torque. See, we need a spiritual horsepower. We need a spiritual torque that can twist and, and, and propel the enemy and move him back. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's where the spiritual torque comes into place. See, some of you guys maybe don't know about engines, but so engines produce horsepower and torque. But torque is the twisting action that allows you to move and propel heavy loads. Trains have a lot of torque. See, and with God, there is a spiritual torque. I've never heard this before, but I thought I'm going I'm to use it for you guys anyway, alright? I've coined it, okay? So if you hear it out there somewhere, I coined it. 
But I saw this and I'm think, I thought to myself, this is what we need in the spirit realm. We need a spiritual torque that will move back the enemy. We'll be able to break the bondages. We'll break chains. See, torque is what would break a chain. But fear of the unknown. Fear, what if? See, tonight... We're gonna, when we end this service tonight, we're going to pray for those of you maybe who are just battling in this area of fear. Because God wants us to be free. He wants us to walk in freedom. Hezekiah was making this call. He says, do not fear. The arm of the Lord is not too short. God it will fight on our behalf. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish. Deep pain, the sorrow, the agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive, all true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, He would share His own anguish for what God saw happening to His church and to His people. And He would find a praying man and He would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? Now folks, look at me. Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. This was a praying man. And God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion. Not just some great sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no. I broke down. And I wept. And I mourned. And I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish. No weeping. Not a word of prayer. It's all ruin. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all? That God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world. There's such a coldness sweeping the land. Closer than that, does it matter about the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts? The sign of ruin that's slowly draining spiritual power and passion, blind to lukewarmness, blind to the mixture that's creeping in. That's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it.
So you won't labor in prayer anymore. You won't weep before God anymore. You can sit and watch television and your family go to hell. Let me ask you, is, is, is what I just said convicted you at all? There's a great difference between anguish and concern. Concern is something that you, the biggest interest to. You take an interest in a project or a cause or a concern or a need. I want to tell you something I've learned over all my years, 50 years of preaching. If it is not born in anguish, if it has not been born by the Holy Spirit, where when you saw and heard of the ruin that drove you to your knees, took you down into a baptism of anguish where you began to pray and seek God, I know now, oh my God, do I know it. Until I'm in agony, until I have been anguished over it, and all our projects, all our ministries, everything we do, where are the Sunday school teachers that weep over kids they know are not hearing and they're going to hell? You see, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish. You see, if you, you set your heart to pray, God's going to come and start sharing your heart, His heart with you. Your heart begins to cry out, Oh God, your name is being blasphemed. The Holy Spirit's being mocked. The enemy is out trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness and something has to be done. There's going to be no renewal, no revival, no awakening until we're willing to let Him once again break us. Folks, it's getting late and it's getting serious. Please don't tell me. Don't tell me you're concerned when you're spending hours in front of internet or television. Come on. Lord, there's some need to get this altar and confess. I am not what I was. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. God, I don't have your heart or your burden. I've been I wanted it easy. I just want to be happy. But Lord, true joy comes. True joy comes out of anguish. There's nothing of the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money, I don't care what kind of new house there is. Absolutely nothing physical could give you joy. It's only what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey Him and take on His heart. Build the walls around your family. Build the walls around your own heart make you strong and impregnable against the enemy. God, that's what we desire. This is what happened to Hezekiah. This is in Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth. And he went into the temple. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. A call to repentance. When I rip my shirt tonight, what I'm saying is, 
you know what? I want to have that heart. I want to be in that place where God is calling me to be. See, Billy on Sunday at the Baptist church, he's, he called people out. He says, how many of you read your Bible? His family raised their hands. How many of you read your Bible daily? How many of you read it weekly? How many of you spend time in prayer? Very, very few had any time that they had spent with the Lord. And we expect to be in this place, but it's much easier to be in front of the TV. It's much easier to think about all the things that we want to do, all the things that please us. See, in Joel chapter 2, before the great outpouring that he talks about, he says, repent. Rend your hearts. Not just your clothes. See, he was trying to tell people, listen, you can, you can do this. You can show this off to the world. Look at me. See, when we fast and pray, in the New Testament, when Jesus talked to them, He says, you know what, when you fast, go into your closet. What He was saying is, listen, because what the, the Pharisees would do is they wanted to make sure everybody knew. So let's walk around like this, with sackcloth on. Let everybody know exactly who we are, what we're doing, our sacrifice that we're making, the agony and the passion that we have. See, Nehemiah 1 forces, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Daniel 9 says, So I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with Him on pr with prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Repentance always, always precedes any move of God. Repentance was what John the Baptist proclaimed before Jesus came. And then Jesus took up that and He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Tonight, I want to give you two things about repentance. Is this. It's an internal change. It's an internal change of the heart and mind. It's not mere, mere, mere sorrow for sin or a mere improvement of behavior. See, the world can claim that. Change your ways. Change your mind and you'll be fine. Be sorrowful for your sin. But what he's saying is, listen, it's an internal change. Repentance, it grips your heart. It starts from the very the core of you and changes from the inside out. That's why we talk about transformation. That's why I tell you, you know what? Most of the churches today are not full of any transformed people. What do we say? Four out of five people think they're saved. The word repent itself comes from a Greek word and it comes from two parts, meta and noia. And it says this, it means this. The first part, meta, is to a prefix which means to move or to change. The second part means it refers to the mind and the thoughts, the perceptions and our dispositions. It's an experience to change. So the, the meaning of this, repenting is an experience to change one's mind and perceptions, dispositions, and purposes. Luke said it like this. He says, when Jesus was talking, he says, your, your repentance must bear fruit. In Luke 3.8, it says, bear fruit or produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So it's not just enough to be sorrowful 
But it should change something inward within us. And that's what happened with Hezekiah. It changed something within him. Repentance is not new deeds, but it is an inward change that bears the fruit of new deeds. Jesus is demanding this of us. Joel reiterates it like this. He says in 2.12, Even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. See, Hezekiah's officers understood this. They tore their robes before they even got to Hezekiah. They heard the word from the, from the king of Assyria, and they took it to King Hezekiah, and they said, look, here's what's... Here, it's dire. They've, they've got all their men ready to march on us. The situation is dire for us. And so Hezekiah, he takes his shirt and he rips it too. And he's not just ripping his his outer garment. He's ripping his heart. He's saying, listen, this must change us. He commands them. He says, all of you, all my chief priests, I want you to put on sackcloth. And I want you to go before Isaiah, the prophet. And I want you to hear what he's got to say to you. See, in the time of Jonah, remember the king of Nineveh? He called for a fast. He called for sackcloth and ashes. He didn't even just call it for the people. He called it for the animals. See, redeeming, restoring, and renewing. Cutting off the sin of the past. Repenting for the sins of our past, our fathers. Restoring, cutting off the sin that we walk in today. The the sin of slumber. The sin of self-centeredness. The sin of mixing. Renewing that commitment and that transformation. See, the situation you go through today, maybe it's a marriage difficulty. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's your children. Whatever it may be. See, we want to go solve it very quickly. We don't truly want what God wants to use that problem for in our life. See, we want to quickly go get an answer. Fix this for me. That's why pastors are bombarded. Fix this. Fix my marriage. You don't understand. See, I don't know how many people have came through Ignite and at times in their life, you know, they, Greg, you've got to help me. My marriage is in shambles. And then they, as soon as things get in a little bit better, they're gone. We never see them again. See, that's, that's the work that we constantly labor with. Looking at those who really, truly want transformation are those who just want the quick fix. And be able to discern which ones are which. See, this mountain is attended to catapult you into your future. That thing that's in front of you, that situation in your life that looks dire, is meant to to cause you to catapult into your future where God wants you to be. See, I would have never dreamed that four years with my wife on her deathbed was going to catapult me into where God wanted me to be. It begins with repentance. And you might say today, well, maybe... I don't really think I have anything to repent of. I don't think I've done done that much wrong. See, I will tell you this. When you get close enough to the Father, when the light becomes brighter, He is going to reveal those things. Those things that maybe didn't look so bad. All of a sudden, the light illuminates them. And all of a sudden, those little things, they need to be changed. You know, it's like I was talking to somebody that day. He said, you know, it's not a matter of now. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't. 
I don't uh, tell lies, but I tell white lies. You know, see, that's where God's not calling us for, to, to, to finish that. He's saying, listen, this is what I want you to get rid of. This right here, this that you walk in, this that's right next to you. He's calling us out of that. See, as we get close to Him, He will reveal. If we just will allow Him. If we'll surrender ourselves to Him. In 2 Kings 19, 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. The Assyrian king sent a, a message and written to him. Hezekiah took it into the temple of the Lord. He laid it out before God. He says, here it is, Lord. They've come. They have demolished everything behind them. It looks like locusts have eaten the ground behind them. Everything they have done, they've just decimated it. And here they are at our doorstep. Hezekiah lays it before the Lord on the temple. He says, here's my petition, God. I'm making a demand on the anointing of God. Lord, there is no way out of this. I can't do this on my own. Our army is not big enough. If they wanted to, in one swipe, they would have had this, the, the city of Jerusalem. See, making a demand on the anointing of God means this. It's saying this. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. We step up just like Jonathan and his armor bearer did. Say, you know what? These Philistines have been defying the God and the army of Israel. Let's go. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. It's that stepping out. It's that saying, I'm willing to, to, to launch myself into whatever it looks like. It's an area I'm not sure of what's going to happen here. But I'm going to trust in God. It's putting ourselves in position. It's standing in position between God and the problem. It's that standing in the gap. It's placing our hand on the Lord and it's placing our hand on the problem and then we become that connection that changes it, that transforms it through prayer, through fasting, through mourning, through agonizing. I'm not talking about tonight, just like David Wilkerson said there, I'm not talking about just an emotional thing that's here and gone tomorrow that blows away. I'm talking about an agony in the Spirit that says, you know what, I must change. That I have to be different. I have to bridge this gap between this chasm of where God wants me to be and where I'm abiding. I want to be there. The disconnect cannot continue. I have to be there. Whether it's me by myself, I know that I have to be there. Laying it out before the Lord. Here is my position, God. That's what Hezekiah did. He took it. He laid it on the altar and said, Here's, here's what he's saying, Lord. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying about the God of Israel. Here's what he's saying about your chosen people. Our prayers make a demand on the anointing of God. That which God has already established, He will do. See, the sovereignty of God comes into play here. I know Pastor Mark's going to be speaking on this down the road. And he was already telling me it's one of them areas that it's not a comfortable thing. Because the sovereignty of God says this. God does not, he doesn't need anybody else outside of himself. He doesn't inquire of anybody else outside of himself. He needs nothing outside of himself. And he can sovereignly say, this is what I'm going to do and he will do it. 
But what we have to do is we have to get to the connection where what God has spoken, what God wants to do, what God has ordained already, we need to bring that into life today. See, discernment is where we are able to catch the vision, the mind of Christ, the heart of God. David Wilkerson said there, says, if you ask of him, if you get on your knees, he will give you his heart. And see, when he begins to give you his heart, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you, everything you do. The only thing that God is bound by is his own character. His character binds, binds him to says, listen, he will not do something outside of his very nature. He's a loving God. He's always going to be that way. But he is also a just God. So he is going to balance it between those two things. And you know what? We have to trust. This is one of the areas to truly entrust that God is able. You know what? That we, we lay it on his, his lap and we say, God, you know what? I know that you're able. I know that, you know what, the situation is yours. And I want the sovereignty of God. See, that's what Hezekiah was asking for. God, you ordained it. You said it long ago. That if your people, which are called by your name, would humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways. See, he he remembered that. When we operate with God's heart, the mind of Christ, as we pray, it gives us His heart. Within His sovereignty, it's not Greg's will, but it's God's will. It's sometimes the same, and sometimes it's not. I love it when it's the same. (laughs) I don't like it so much when it's not. See, David, in 2 Samuel 7, he wanted to build a temple before the Lord. And he said he was, he was there in his, in, his, in his own house. I just picture, I want you to picture this. Nathan the prophet's with him. He's, he's sitting in his own house and he says to himself, how is it that I sit in my house and the ark of the Lord is down there in a tent? I will build the Lord an ark. I will build the Lord a, a, a temple. I will build him a place for his ark. The presence of God. I will build a place for him. He says, what do you think about it, Nathan? And Nathan's like, whatever you want to do, I'm with you. Then Nathan, as he leaves, the Lord speaks to his heart and says, go back and tell David this. Now what I, what I, what I want you guys to get from this, is, that, and I'm going to tell you just a minute what he said, but David's will was good. David's will looked like God. Who could deny that building a temple before, for the Lord would be the right thing? Who could deny that doing this for, before the Lord would be a good thing? See, and this is where we operate a lot of times. Well, I'm doing something good. It looks like God. I loved it when, when Mark's daughter said it on Sunday. She says, you know what? See, over in Thailand, there's so many things. There's a vast amount of things to be done. You see all the things that need to be done. And you want to go plug all the holes. You want to do everything. But you really need to do, she says, is not do all those things, but do what God wants you to do. See, we can plug all the holes. We can be standing around with our fingers in the dam, and we really think we're doing something good, but that's not the heart of God. And so Nathan told David, he says, God says, I never intended to, I, I didn't tell you I had to have a temple. I told you I I would be fine right here in this tent. David, I didn't tell you you had to do that. But your heart is good, so here's what I'm going to do. 
There will not be anybody in line behind you that will not sit on the throne. You will be remembered as a man after God's own heart. He says, says remember what I said a couple weeks ago about, for the sake of my servant David. David's been dead 20 years, but yet for the sake of my servant David. David's been, been dead for 80 years, but yet for the sake of my servant David. 169 years, his bones are long gone. He's dust. He says, but yet for the sake of my servant David. And you'll find right here in the Scripture with Hezekiah, he says, yet for the sake of my servant David, the enemy will not intrude into Jerusalem. Yet for the sake of my servant David, you will stand and you will, be, you will not be harmed. There will not be one arrow fired over Jerusalem, he says. See, miracles begin to chase us down when we walk in this place. Sickness, fear, darkness, bondage, addiction, the enemy, everything has to flee at the presence of God. When we carry that within our lives... When we are in tune with the Spirit of God, when we have the the mind of Christ, when we have the heart of God, we're not doing all these things, but we're doing exactly what He wants us to do. We we put ourselves in that position. See, the king of Assyria in 2 Kings 19.28, he says, I took... (laughs) This is great. This is talking from the Lord to the king of Assyria. He says, I will put my hook in his nose and my bit in his mouth, and I will make him return the way he came. Mm. Just think about that. The Lord says, listen, here. You're going over here. It's not a gentle... It's not a very gentle figure of speech. He says, I'm going to hook you and I'm going to remove you, king of Assyria. You think you're so much, but I'm the God. I'm not the, I don't deal with, I'm not involved with the flesh. I'm, in, I'm the God that, that says, I will do these things and it will come to pass. See, blessing comes. We become the benefactor of His grace in 2 Kings 19.29. The next verse, He says, This year you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. That's what's happening, Janelle. That's what's happening to the hamburger stand. The Lord says, listen, I will make this happen. You can do all these great things. You can advertise. You can put a new sign out there. You can, you can advertise in the Porterville Recorder. But you know what? The Lord says, listen, I'm going to make it happen for you. And I'm going to make it happen. And you know what? Nobody can deny when the Lord does it. He says in verse 31, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's the God that we serve. Trust in the Lord. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Isaiah Isaiah tells King Hezekiah this in verse 32 of that same chapter. He says, Isaiah tells Hezekiah, the king of Assyria, he will not enter this city. He will not shoot an arrow. He will not come down before with his shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city. I will save it for my sake and for the sake of who? David. I want you to think about this in the spiritual realm right here about Springville. I will defend this city, the Lord says. Ron, (laughs) it doesn't matter what anybody tries to come in and do in here. Because you know what? God says, I will defend this city. I will give it to you. 
He's made that promise. He's telling us that this region, I'm telling you guys, there, we would not be fighting, it wouldn't be such a battle if there wasn't something so strategic in here that the enemy wanted. I don't know what it is yet, but I do know this. We will continue to battle. We will continue to fight. We will not relent. We will not give up. We will continue and resolve ourselves that that's where we're going to walk. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. In 2 Kings 19.35, at the end of that chapter, it says, Then that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 of the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, they were all, there were dead bodies everywhere. And Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. And he returned to Nineveh and stayed there. See, if God has said he will do this thing, all, God is looking for opportunity to inject himself into the circumstance. See, but he only comes in by invitation. He doesn't come in when we just sit back and we go, well, I claim it. I claim it. It's going to happen. I claim it. No, he says, listen, you want to see it come to pass? Get on your knees. He says, you want, to, you want to see it come to pass? You make a demand on the anointing of God. You make that petition before the Lord. Nothing will satisfy me, Lord. I am going to stay resolved to this. God wants to interject Himself into the physical. He comes, though, by invitation, by our prayer, when we fast, when we pray. That's why we are doing these things today. And even in our anguish for the lost. We position ourselves before the Lord. God, here I'm ready. See, I want to tell you that the, how that chasm is bridged is by us standing in the gap. That chasm is bridged by us not just sitting back, but we take an active role and say, listen, I'm going to bridge that gap. I'm going to place my hand on the Lord. I'm going to fast and pray, and I'm going to get the conduit of heaven running through me. And then when I place my hand upon the circumstance, on the situation, it changes according to His will, His sovereign plan. All we have to do at that point is just we're inviting the Lord to come into that situation. The sovereign move of God upon a circumstance. But it doesn't happen by us just saying it. It happens when we walk this thing out. When we get on our knees, we pray, we found anguish, we found the heart of God, we find the mind of Christ. You cannot have all of that. And, then, and a lot of times what we want to do is we just want to, we want to say it, we want to proclaim it, we want to claim it, and it's done. No. But when we've spent time over here, on our knees. When we've spent time on our knees down here. When we've spent time at home. Not just here on Tuesday night. But we've spent time in intercession over our family. Over our city. Over our town. Then when we, when we pray that. We know the mind of Christ. We know what God wants to do in this realm. And we don't get all bogged down by what we want to do. Springville. It's, the time is right. The field is ripe. Make us ready. That's the call of the Lord today. The time is right. The field is ripe. Make us ready. Put us in position, Lord, to change destiny, to change circumstances, to change, but it won't happen. It won't happen just by us rending our garments. We have to rend our heart. 
Springville, you shall gush forth water. A spring of living water shall come out of you. Out of this place will come a bubble of water, a burst forth of water that will, that will begin to, not, just in the, not in the physical, but in the spiritual, that is going to move out beyond this place. It's going to touch this valley. There have been people praying for this, fasting for this, for over 50 years. There have been people that have proclaimed it in the Spirit, said this, this is what the Lord says in a word of prophecy. It's going to happen. I'm telling you, we are going to be an instrument of that. We, but we put ourselves in that position. Pastor Mark, Pastor Billy, we're putting ourselves in position. God, what is it that you want to do in this hour? I'm ready. Rend my heart. Tonight, as we close, I don't. I felt like last week when I talked about fear, I feel like fear is a roadblock to the move of God. Fear is the is the, is the is the is the thing that will cut us off from going into that place where God wants us to be. And tonight, I just want to I want to make that opportunity before you. That if you need me, if you need prayer tonight over that, you know, and I'm not just, I, it, it can't be just this emotional, yeah, I need that. No, it's got to be that, it's like I tell Billy, it's got to be that people who want deliverance, they're willing to cut their arm off to get deliverance. See, they don't just say it, but they, they mean it so much that they say, you know what, I'm willing to do anything it takes. Jerry and I were talking this week. It's like if a, if a person's arm was or being pulled away by our clothing into a, a machine, what would, at times what you'd have to do is you'd have to cut off the arm to get that person out of that position. I've seen it happen on, on car accidents. They had to remove something to get that person out to extricate them. See, we need to get to the place that we're so desperate. God, extricate me. Extricate me. I'm so desperate.